them. Jesus has to remind them every time, hey, these are the words from Christ. And guess what? He was um, the beginning of God's creation. Not that he was the first one created, but that he was there when it was happening. This idea of preeminence. So he's kind of a big deal. He's actually, he's kind of God. So you kind of need to listen to these words that that I'm saying. Um, And they need to be reminded of that. But something special about Laodicea, not like the other churches, is that Laodicea is the only church to receive no compliment, to receive no commendation. Every church, so they're right in the seven, Laodicea is the last one. The first six, at least something good is said about them. At least, hey, you're faithful, but blank. Or, hey, you love me, but you've done this. Laodicea, nothing. No commendation. When I worked at camp, Maryland Christian camp, um, we would teach counselors how to talk to parents sometimes, especially if that parent had a really um, difficult child, okay? So we would have day camp where the parent would take their kid and drop them off in the morning and then come back in the afternoon and pick them back up and take them home. And they would do that every day for that week. Now, if a counselor had a very difficult uh, camper, we would teach them this. You do need to tell the parent, but you need to be gentle in how you tell the parent. Or the parent will either get really mad at you or pull their kid out from camp. Or like, we don't want any of that to happen. We want them to stay there. We just want some behavior to change. So what you do is this thing called a compliment sandwich. Teachers do this too. Um, and if you've gotten something like this and you haven't realized, I'm sorry. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry I'm breaking down all your, all your walls right now. But a compliment sandwich kind of goes like this. You say something good about the kid. You say the real reason you want to talk to the parents, so the thing that you want to change, and then you say something else good. And you put in this little compliment sandwich for them so the parent can actually digest it and then kind of change some stuff. So you say something like this. Hey, you know, I'm talking to the mom. Hey, I love little Timmy's energy. I mean, he is just so energetic. He brings a lot of energy to our cabin. However, I would love to see that energy directed in other ways than running around the cafeteria the whole lunch period, holding knives and screaming and throwing macaroni and cheese and dino nuggets at everyone. But I just love that he keeps everyone so engaged and and so active in our cabin. And that's kind of how it would go, where it's like, you know why I really talk to them, because little Timmy is the worst. Um, (laughs) But but we put in this compliment sandwich— Listen, Jesus is going to be talking to Laodicea, no compliment sandwich, none of that. It is, it is like right to the point. It is like, well, I want you to be uncomfortable. In fact, you know, sometimes when you preach, you kind of, I like to think of it in different ways. Sometimes you, you use a hammer to just hammer salvation. Sometimes you use a, it's kind of like a fire to kind of catch people's hearts on fire. Sometimes it's like a, a bed where you can show people what to rest in and stuff. It's kind of preaching comes in those different forms. This message is like a scalpel. I mean, it is uncomfortable. But it's meant to peel back the layers to see what's really wrong. And that's what Jesus is going to do. This is meant to be uncomfortable, and it's meant to be read publicly to this church. Now, why is it like this? Why do they receive no commendation? Well, let's talk about the context of Laodicea. Now, if you came to church this morning, and you were like, man, I really hope the speaker goes into some first century Mediterranean church, culture, history, and politics, and economy. Like, I hope they talk about that. Then you're in luck, because that's what we're going to get into. But we have to. We have to. So if you like history, good. If you don't, just hang on. Um, So first of all, Laodicea is early in their existence. They were destroyed by an earthquake. And the Roman Empire said, listen, Laodicea, we're the Roman Empire. We're great. Everyone loves us. We will 
We'll, we'll, we'll rebuild your city for you. We'll help you rebuild it. I mean, you'll just be indebted to us, but we'll rebuild it for you. And Laodicea said, no, 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 no. We will rebuild our city. We are the independent Laodiceans. We will rebuild our city. Now, keep in mind how this relates to America. Um, we, are the, we are so independent. We are so strong. We are pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We will rebuild our city. And they did. They rebuilt their cities by themselves. They owed it to no one else. So that's one aspect. Here's another aspect. Laodicea was right in the middle of a trade route, which means they had a booming economy. And what added to this booming economy is that they had a very um, intelligent banking system. They had a great banking system, and they were very rich as a city. In fact, this was not only the richest, but the largest church of the sevens. Another aspect of their economy was their, their black wool industry. Um, they, would, they would take this black wool, and it was really sleek. It was really expensive. They would, it was like one of their main exports, and it made them a lot of money as well, black wool. And another great thing about Laodicea was their advancements in medical technology. Uh, maybe technology is not the right word, but medical advancements. They created this, this newfound eye salve that would take care of some vision issues, that would take care of some skin issues around the eyes. And so they came up with this eye salve, this, these ointments and stuff for the face. And so there's a lot of great things about Laodicea, a lot of things they had that no one else has. But you know what they didn't have? Clean water. They did not have clean water. Um, it's actually interesting where they're located. About 10 miles away, like we talked about, is Colossae, the book of Colossians, Colossae. They, had, they were at the bottom of a mountain. They had this cold, beautiful, fresh spring water, um, that was just delicious. It was amazing. It was very clean. They would sell it by the bottom. I mean, people love this, this Colossae water. And then on the other side, you had this city called Hierapolis. And Hierapolis had these hot springs. They had these beautiful hot springs. They had these healing properties. People would travel to Hierapolis just to go to their natural hot springs. They had these healing properties. They were amazing. Now, um, Laodicea had nothing. They didn't have that. In fact, the closest clean water source they had dried up every summer. So they were like, how do we get water into the city? So what they did was they found a river about five miles away. And they, they were really rich. They were smart. They created this ingenious aqueduct system underground. So they were starting around, and they would pipe these terracotta pipes all the way to that river, and they would pump in their water, and they would come up underground into the city and run through pipes on the streets. Actually, if you go to Laodicea now, you can see the terracotta pipes. Now, here's something you won't want to see on the terracotta pipes that's unfortunately on there. Deposits. They're gross. Because when they were pumping this water, it would get nasty as it traveled through, through the underground. Um, it would get dirty. It would get chemicals in it. It would get all these mineral soil deposits and the pipes would get clogged all the time. By the time the water actually got to the city, it, it was smelled horrible. It was not clean to drink. If you took it inside and boiled it, it would make a house smell horrible. It would make a home smell horrible. It was not good water. All Laodicea had was this tepid, lukewarm, gross, chemical kind of water. If your kids were outside like having a lemonade stand and they used this water, from Laodicea, there would be a lawsuit on your hands. I mean, if I tried that water, it, it, if I tried that lemonade made with that water, it would not be a good time. It was horrible. So then we get to verse 15. And Jesus says this, 
I know your works. Reference back to, hey, I'm God, just in case you forgot. Um, You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I encourage you guys, become um, deeper and deeper studiers of the word because um, Jesus tends to speak situationally. Um, like how Daniel preached, or I mean prayed that, that Jesus would meet us where we are in our situation stuff. Jesus has a, has a good time kind of speaking to where his audience is. When he speaks in the Gospels, he speaks in parables, usually very rural parables, because usually he's talking to rural people, farmers. Now he's speaking to this church about water. What do they know about water? Because it's kind of a situation there. And so he says that they are lukewarm and that they disgust him. That word spit, also, some of your translations might have it, some might, it's also the word vomit. Um, the people that, that went to spit, they usually kind of did that, kind of soften it. But the, the real Greek word is vomit. Um, the Laodicean church made Jesus sick. Is the harshest rebuke, harshest reproof we see to any church out of the churches in Revelation, the seven. And their issue, and this is, I mean, so some of these churches, you have to take a, you have to build a bridge to connect the context to like that church 2,000 years ago and this church in America right now. This one, you don't have to build much of a bridge. The problem with Laodicea is they were cultural Christians. They were Christians because it was comfortable to be Christians. They were Christians because maybe their parents were Christians. They were Christians because it was easy to be Christian. And that made them lukewarm. They were prosperous. If that is not the American, the 21st century American church, I don't know what is. And that disgusted Christ. Jesus is not mad or sad. He's sick. Vody Bacham says like this. He says that the Laodicean church was a sin-sick church and Jesus was making a house call. As Jesus is going to come there and tell them, this is what's wrong with you. I have a feeling that the Laodicean church was surprised they were even being written to. I thought they thought, oh, we're good. We are like so good. If, they, if anything gets written to us, it's going to be compliments because look how big this church is. Look how much money our city has. This is the harshest reproof we see. Why does this sicken Christ? Well, look at verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I need nothing. Go ahead and underline that. Mark it. That is telling. That is it. I need nothing. That's what they said. I need nothing. And when they say I need nothing, they mean I don't need you. This is why they struggled to see Jesus as God. Because they had this idea of self-sufficiency, of independence that they put above everything else. And to be honest, as um, a first generation college student, as an American, I I have a temptation to do that as well to put my independence, my self-sufficiency, my pull myself up by my bootstraps mentality at the pedestal of all my thoughts, of all my identity. But guys, self-sufficiency leaves us with a mediocre desire to find God. Self-sufficiency leaves us with a mediocre desire to find God. And we can see this as, as we go through it. They said, I need nothing, not realizing that they are rich, pitiful, and poor. They are in a huge... Um, 
trade route. They had all these banking systems. And they said, oh, we're rich. And Jesus said, no, you're, you say you need nothing, so you have nothing. You are poor. They say, oh, we have this, these eye ointments. Um, we have this eye technology, uh, medicine. And Jesus says, no, you're blind. They say, oh, we have this wool, this black wool. It's one of our best exports. And Jesus says, no, you're naked. You say you need nothing, so you have nothing. No physical needs can really fool us into thinking that we have no spiritual needs. No physical needs can fool us into thinking we have no spiritual needs. The fastest growing churches in the world right now I don't know if you'd ever guess where they were. They're in um, China, the underground church in China, and the churches in the Middle East are the fastest growing Christian churches in the world because they cannot meet openly. They face persecution, and they, they do not have. They are not prosperous physically, but spiritually they are abounding. Here's a book recommendation. Nick Ripkin's The Insanity of God. Nick Ripkin's The Insanity of God. Excellent book. Excellent. As an American Christian, I think it's a must read. Nick Ripkin, that's not his real name, it's a pseudonym, he can't give his real name. He traveled the, to the most hostile, anti-Christian places in the world. And this is kind of like his account of traveling to those places. And he said when he went to China one time, he was in these underground meetings, and he said that he was asking them, how can, how can I pray for you and stuff? And, and he offered, he was like, you know, I can pray and I can get all my churches back home to pray that you guys just won't experience like persecution anymore. And the Chinese pastor said, no, 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 no. Don't pray that. Don't pray that we don't experience persecution anymore. Just pray that we stay faithful through persecution. It's because of persecution that this church has grown. Um, As a high school Bible teacher, my number one question I get when people are really wanting to be distracting, well, I just think people, I don't know what it is about high schoolers, but they are so interested in this. Like every single class I have, they ask about this, I feel like. Um, but it's about demons. Like, they want to talk about demons. And we're not going to go on this whole, like, talk about demons and stuff. But, like, am I right? I mean, it's like all, you, it's like all the high schoolers want to do is ask me about demons. And they're like, well, do you believe in demons? I'm like, well, the Bible says, yeah. So I say, yeah. Um, and they're like, well, why don't we see any in America? And I said, well, we've already taken their jobs in America. I mean, we kind of do the work for them in America. Um, where I've heard the most accounts of, of demon interactions is in these third world countries. These countries where people are desperate. They don't have all these distractions, the technology, the money. And so they're desperate for salvation. They're desperate for God. They usually believe the fastest and they usually believe the strongest and do the most work. That's why I think you see the demon attacks there. That's why you don't see them here. Because we have the distractions. We have the riches. We have the money. We have the technology. We create our own <coughs> demons. We create our own idols. And that keeps us lukewarm. It keeps us tepid. It keeps us gross. Yet God still gives a chance for repentance. He could have ended it right there. Jesus could have said, this is how you are. This is why I feel this way. Period. But he doesn't. He gives us a chance for repentance. Verses 18 and 19. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined by fire. I know you rely on this banking. Buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself. I know you rely on this black wool export and stuff and that's great. Buy white garments from me so you may clothe yourself 
and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve, by salve for me to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Want me, desire me. Buy my gold, my white garments, my eye salve. Seek me in your prosperity and you will find me. This reminds me, and, and this, this is what's happened. They've, they've worshiped the gift over the giver is what has happened. Reminds me of other stories um, in the Old Testament. Um, Deuteronomy, the Israelites are about to enter the promised land and God warns them. He says, listen, you're about to come into this land. It's got food, it's got water, it's got houses you don't even have to build. It's got freedom, it's got peace. Don't forget me. And what do they do? They forgot him because they worshiped the gift. The story of Abraham and Isaac is really interesting right here because God told Abraham, take Isaac up on this mountain, sacrifice him to show your, your love for me. And Abraham was going to do it. He was going to go through with it. And, and God um, kept Abraham from doing so. And I think the real reason that God put Abraham through that was to see, Abraham, you begged and begged for children. You begged for children. And I gave you them. Now, are you going to worship the giver or the gift? Are you going to worship the giver or the gift? You begged for this gift. I gave you this gift. Now, who are you thankful to, the gift or the giver? And Abraham passed. He was thankful to the giver. This is the reason why I think Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to make it to heaven. Because we look around and the gift sparkles and shines and we're just amazed by it. But we never take time to think of the giver. And it makes us lukewarm. He even instructs the Laodicean church how to repent. He says, there's a chance for repentance. Now I'm going to show you exactly how. Verse 20, the last one. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. A lot of people interpret this as opening the door to your heart and whatnot. I'm not quite there yet with it, but I do think it is about the church. Let him in. The church has put his name on the door. His name is on the mailbox outside, and they won't let him in. In fact, they can't even hear him. They're not even trying to listen for his knock. That's what he's saying. Let me in. Listen for me. Find me. and Seek me, and you will find me. I'm knocking at the door if you will just stop for a second and listen. Let me in. You put my name on the door, and you won't let me in my own house. I hope that is never true of Project Re3. I hope that is never true of your family, of your house, of your life, of your personal life. We put his name on our Facebook posts, our Instagram posts. We put his name over top of our kitchen table. We put his name on the door of this church. Let us be faithful into listening for his knock. I'll tell you um, the Laodicea's biggest sin, the church's biggest sin. These two words we use way too often. I'm fine. That's our biggest sin. I'm fine. We say it too. I'm fine. We're not fine. You're not fine. We are not fine. Don't be fine. Be desperate. It said, so be zealous and repent. Zealous is, that, is, is in the same category as that word for hot in the Greek. Be zealous and repent. Be desperate. Even in your prosperity, be desperate. God either is the point or there is no point. 
Jesus is saying, I am either Jesus, the Messiah, God, and you are my church, you are my bride, and you are desperate for me, or this means nothing. You are worse than atheists. You are worse than those who don't believe because you are lukewarm. And you say you need nothing. Need me. Desire me. I just pray that for us today and as we go on um, through the sermon series and through our life. And if you've never known God like that and like an intimate personal relationship, talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to these guys up here. Talk to somebody. And if you know God or you've known God in the past and you were on fire for him at one point, fall back again. Be desperate. Fall at his feet. And don't, you don't have to be fine. And that's the amazing thing about grace. If Jesus knocks once, that's the greatest act of grace we can ever have in our life. And if we meet this grace every day, then we just know that the Lord is who he says he is and he is great. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this time that we just worked through your word. God, this has been the most challenging sermon I've had to, to write, not because it's necessarily difficult to understand, but because it is just, it bites at the heart. God, break my heart. Break this church's heart for you. Let us be desperate for you, desperate to find you, desperate to need you like we need air and water, desperate to need you, God. Let us know that you are Lord. Let us not belittle you with our own independence. And let us not neglect you by saying we're fine. But let us need you. Let us fall at your feet in holy praise and adoration. In your name I pray, amen. All right.